Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. jump right into it, sort of do like a brief intro, and I'm just going to bring you right in. Sure. All right, welcome to the Spirit of Time podcast. Uh, we're here on location at Cognizanti Coffee in the Arts District near downtown Los Angeles, and we have a special guest today. We're going to be talking watches, of course, uh, Art Deco, and uh, even a little agave. Uh, on top of that, there's going to be a, a winner of an amazing giveaway that's going to be announced right here on the show. Uh, as well, so that might give a, a few, you know, tips away to some people if they've been following not only the account but also some of our friends. Um, so with that, I want to welcome Patrick from Bromoir Watches. Patrick, how are you, man? Doing great. So so happy to be here. It's been a, a long time coming, right? Right. It has. We originally met uh, back in October at the LA Micro Lux event, and uh, we talked about getting together, and here we are, six months later. You know, I would say all, all good plans, you know, are laid to rest, especially in like COVID pandemic times. And so there's been a few um, hitches in our giddy up getting this together. And in fact, we have another hitch, you know, quite frankly, you know, typically we would have Matt here with us too, but uh, he wasn't able to make it today. So, yeah. um, but we're all good because we're... He'll be here in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he will. Sorry, I had to do it. Oh, I had to do was, that. And we didn't even write that into the, any of the show notes. I know. You know. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to hit on a lot of things. Instant chemistry. That's right. Instant chemistry. Um, so, Pat, tell us a little bit about who you are, yeah. what you do. I think most people listening are going to know or at least be familiar with, uh, with your brand and your watches. Um, but if they're not, give us, give us kind of the intro. What, what, sure. what, what are you all about and what's this brand about? Yeah, so uh, as you said, I'm, I'm the founder. Full name, Patrick Bremer. And I say, I put a little emphasis on the last name because it kind of leads into the name of the brand, which is a fusion between my last name and memoir. Ah. Uh, and it kind of came about because, you know, I got into watches like so many people uh, sort of interested in vintage. And obviously people romance the story behind the watch, right? Um, so I was trying to think of kind of a name that would speak to that looking back and, and romanticizing one story, or in this case, a watch's story. So, uh, you know, originally, I was leaning towards memoir, and it just wasn't quite personal, personal enough. Um, and I think a, a friend of mine was like, wait, why don't you fuse your last name? Or actually, people started saying, just make it Bremoir, or Bremer. And I'm like, no, nah, nah, it's a little too boring. And then the, the fusion kind of came about just organically. I was like, boom, that's perfect. It does fit. Um, and I think uh, that's a neat way to tie in not only your person to it, but also the ethos of what you were trying to accomplish, it sounds like. Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, the, the watches, I think the other thing about the whole vintage watch collecting past is the watches are very much a hybrid of uh, modern and contemporary as well as vintage. You know, the, the stepped bezel is very much a, a vintage thing and 
but then you've got the, the flat crystals, which is modern, and the case design is kind of like a hybrid dive watch. So what we were trying to do was not so much recreate uh, pieces from the age. Those would obviously be much smaller. Um, you know, rectangular was obviously a very popular shape. So, um, so yeah, it's a, there's a lot of hybrid and fusion action in not only the brand, but the designs as we will move forward too. Yeah, I mean, you can see it for sure, and I think we're gonna dig pretty deeply into you know, the design language and, and where it came from. Um, you know, we were originally supposed to do this, like you mentioned, after we met at, at Microlux, um, and then you also did some traveling down to Mexico shortly afterward, and I remember we were messaging and we were talking about picking up some bottles and what should you be out in the hunt for. So maybe uh, we can get into you know what you picked up, but we do have a few things in the glass here. Um, so maybe we can do a little wrist check, port check, sure. as we like, sure. as we're very apt to do on these podcasts. Absolutely. Let's so as our guest of honor, tell us uh, what's in your glass. and. Uh... Yeah, so um, I was on a Mexico kick last year. Yeah. I went down to Mexico City Speaking my language. on three separate <laughs> trips. Um, it's such a big city. Yeah, I mean, and I was only going down for long weekends, three days, so. Which is surprisingly a doable thing for Mexico City. You might think to yourself, it's too big to only do in three days, but it is so big, you can do bits and pieces of it and totally. then come back. Because it's yeah. not that far from us in Southern it's California. Four hours direct flight, uh, relatively reasonably priced flights. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was all about it. Um, now, on the third trip, I went down for Thanksgiving. I was having such a good time on the first two trips, I convinced my parents to meet me in Mexico City for the third trip over the holiday break. Uh, so they flew in from Chicago, I flew down from LA, we did, what, three days in Mexico City, and then we went up to San Miguel de Allende. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the last day, you know, I went to your, your bottle shop in, in, what neighborhood was it? I don't think it was in the Pol I don't think it was in Polanco. It might have been in was it um, Rome? Um, it was in Roma Norte. It was, yeah. yeah Roma yeah. Norte. So um, we tasted. We did a tasting in San Miguel. Yeah. Uh, so I bought a bottle there, and then I went to the bottle shop. So I think this one I got at the tasting outside of San Miguel, um, El Rey Zapoteco. Zapoteco. So it's a um, Espadine Joven. Uh, and this was my favorite from the from the tasting yeah. up in San Miguel. But I also learned a little bit, you know, up on that tasting too. I didn't realize that there's like 50 different varieties of um, agave. Yep. And tequila has to be the blue agave, whereas the mezcals are, you know, you can pick and choose whichever one you want. So you nearly limitless. You get more variety. Yeah. Uh, in that sense, with with the mezcals. So, uh, should we check this one out? 45%, which we were talking about earlier, is a kind of an approachable number. It's yeah. got some, some heat to it. Salute. Cheers. Oh, that's fantastic. That is, I hesitate to say like a down the middle, wonderful, you know, kind of classic Espadine profile, because that would be selling it short. But it's exactly what you would hope and expect for, and, and it's well done, right? You know, get kind of like the uh, there's a little bit of heat to it. There's a very green profile. There's some citrus notes to it. It's a it's just a fantastic pour. 
Yeah, last year I also uh, I started to get obsessed um, with the Mezcal Negronis. Yes. Just swap out that gin, put in the uh, Mezcal, and wow, what a, what a fantastic cocktail. That really is. Um, and uh, I've been not on my cocktail game lately, but I'd like to get back, especially as we get into summertime. This is a, a good time for that. Um, I also brought an El Rey um, Zapiteco. Uh, tepestate because I knew that you had picked up a few and they were your favorites um, some of your favorites from the tasting so we have that on the table um, so and then and then this would be the zappa zappa zate yeah the tepestate tepestate we have a, a reposado uh, which looks like a, a, an espadine rested for you know 10 months I'm assuming but t help me understand this one um, where does it say the type of agave? So on the bottom, this blue, this purple label here. So each of the each of the, the El Rey Zapoteco labels have this band, and that gives you the classification. So you have a Reposado here. Hovens are just young, which means unrested, right? Yep. You have your Espadine, Tepestate. But that's the type of agave. That's the type of agave. Got it. Got it. So Espadines, I'm imagining. I'd have to look this one up for sure. I'm imagining these are maybe cultivated, which is pretty standard for Espadines, you know, especially these days. Um, Tepestate is typically wild, um, usually mm. upwards of 15 or 20 years, depending on, on when they um, harvested them. Um, very, very different flavor profiles. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if we pull anything similar notes, kind of hand to the maker from these three different. I'm, I'm now curious to know more about this wild <laughs> agave. I mean, what, what are people like going just out into public lands and harvesting? Or how does you know, that work? Do you know anything about that? I know a little bit about it. Not enough, probably enough to get myself in trouble and hopefully someone will comment and correct us. But um, the, 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 uh, the terminology for it is silvestre. Okay. So meaning just wild, yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, not cultivated. Um, and I think in most, many instances, there are, might be some instances where people literally will just go to the hillside and, and kind of cultivate, you know, agaves that they've been probably tending to in some manner or form. Yeah. Um, they're not completely untouched for 20 years, right? They have, or 15 years or 10 years. Um, but I've, oftentimes I think there's probably delineated, whether it's formal or informally, you know, certain areas that people are working and cultivating from. Mm -hmm. um, these, the wild of agaves, I think, are getting a little harder to come by, right? I think the price is going up on those just because that supply is shrinking. Yeah. Um, people are, but to hopefully counteract that, if you have some agaves like Espadine, Tobala, um, you can cultivate them. That hopefully keeps, you know, the numbers really high to make bottles that people can maybe enjoy with a little less discretion mm -hmm. and maybe keep the wild stuff for maybe special occasions sure. and, and special pours. Makes sense. Um, the, the majority of what you're going to see is probably on the cultivated side, but when you're lucky, you can find things like tepestate and javali and um, uh, even madre quiches and um, a lot of different options too on the on the wild side. I don't know if you had a wild and a cultivated one. I've never had them side by side. And it'd be nearly really hard to do because there's so many factors that would have changed in those two batches. Mm -hmm. But it would be interesting to see what, if any, differences we pick up from it. So sort of the romantic aspect of it too, and I think that's something watch people can really get into. We're quite a romantic bunch. What would be the watch <laughs> equivalent of the, the oh, wild agave? Man, the wild agave. <laughs> that vintage watch that you were searching for, for, you know, what seemed like forever, and somehow magically appeared before you. There it is. Right? And it was not only like beautifully, you know, in a beautiful, you know, honest condition. Something like that, maybe. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And you don't wear it every day. Yeah, only for special occasions. Only special occasions. We have uh, an Espina Negra, 
another espadine here. Okay, so this is the the forty two percent. Yes. So a little, you know, we talked less about bite. Yeah. Less bite. I think probably a little more approachable. Also, I would probably imagine would be quite suitable in cocktails. Mm -hmm. You know, not that this forty five percent would not be, um, but I think at forty two percent, you're certainly not going to be bashful about dropping it into a Negroni. Bada de Cobre. That's a 43. That's a 43. This is, let's see, an Espadine as well. So we could go a couple Espadines and, and see what differences we pick up between them. The Mioro, which I've heard nice things about too, 45% another Espadine. So you came back with a really nice haul. Locked and loaded. Locked and loaded, baby. I brought um, two of the most recent offerings from the subscription club, um, Mage Melate. And we have a Madre Quiche, um, which is from uh, Silvestre Jimenez Peralta, and an Inacuarines from Miguel Ortez Villa Gomez, um, which is from Michoacan. So we've got Oaxaca, Michoacan. Um, we've got a lot of different stuff on the table today. Excellent. I think we should enjoy ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and not, we've got great not, cold let's brew. Let's not get carried away. I know, anyway. it is an afternoon. Uh, and our friends at Cognizenti have, have also kept us caffeinated, so Absolutely. Quite, quite nice of them to do. Um, so we have the port check, and maybe we'll touch base in, in, on those as we go through. Um, I can guess what's on the wrist, but let's be formal about it. Wrist check. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, well, in honor of the giveaway, I had to wear the, the Bremoir Lux Lexington Tuxedo dial variant, so it's the probably the most classic uh, variant black and silver chapter ring. I've been wearing this watch um, on a rubber strap. I saw that. Yeah. I was going to ask you about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So dare I get to say it's a strap monster. <laughs> <laughs> no no watch uh, review or description would be, would be done without it. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun, you know, because uh, then I can take it in the water and summer's coming up and I really like this strap, but the manufacturer won't make it in a quick release for me and you know everyone kind of wants the quick releases although I know there's some debate on whether they're unsafe whether you might lose a watch or get over it they're so uh, convenient I mean yeah they're great yeah so. strap tools in the in the in the in the cabinet you know in the drawer don't have to worry about it no nicks on the case back uh, I'm, all, I'm, I'm all for it yeah uh, that's a cool look it's a very cool look, and I think it also um, drives home the point that there is an obvious vintage aesthetic with a modern build meant to be worn, right? You just said in the pool, out and about. I mean, this thing, this isn't meant to be tucked away and... No, yeah, it's got, it's got a, a hefty build. It does. Um, you know, in many ways, it's a, it's a diver's case with an elegant bezel slapped on the top of it. And then obviously the, the dial and the hands are not diver-like, but yeah. the case itself is, is pretty robust. Yeah, it really is. I want to I want to talk more about that. It's a it's a beautiful piece. I think the tuxedo is the right one to share with people too, you know, but there's so many beautiful colors that are, I think, quite striking and, and in some ways have already differentiated your brand from, I think, a lot of other stuff, which is no small feat these days. Um, on my wrist, I, I mentioned to Patrick as we started, I did this maybe subliminally. I didn't really intend to, but I've been uh, for the last few weeks, wearing one watch per week, and this week uh, the Omega um, Seamaster Cosmic 2000 was up, um, which I've I've had for some time. And, and if you've listened to the pod, you've 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 heard it or seen it. And uh, it, 
it by no means represents anything that the Bromoard Lexington does, but there is some interesting um, uh, kind of comparisons. You know, the case is, uh, it has a slight curvature to it, I think, like the Lexington does. There's a mix of, of polish and brushed surfaces. Um, you know, the aesthetic is very different, and, and you know, the dial furniture, you know, if, if, if we would describe the Bromar hour and, and minute markers as maybe uh, Art Deco, really beautiful architecture design, I might call the hour markers on my Cosmic uh, Brutalist. Yeah. Uh, but no less unique and no less interesting. Well, the one thing I instantly noticed, are those little loom blips yeah, yeah. right at the kind of the front edge of the hour marker? They are. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It has a little bit of little bit of loom left on it, but not much. The other thing I wanted to do was was guess the year mm -hmm. to test my you know horological yes. knowledge. Seventies uh, is is that the right decade? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna go seventy four. You're damn close. I have not pulled the extract, so you might be right. I'm not saying you're wrong. I have guesstimated at 72, 73 mm -hmm. for the moment, mm -hmm. but when I pull the extracts, then we'll know for sure. So you're, you're spot on. Condition is incredible. It is. I think it's Man. been lightly polished at some point, but uh, I think it's well done. The edges are sharp. Um, and like you said, the condition, I, I just it was a winner for me when I finally found that one. Yeah, the dial is this, you know, off-white something that you would see in like a vintage Grand Seiko. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great piece. Um, you know, some similarities to I think what we'll discuss in great length and detail today, but uh, I just thought it was interesting as I was pulling up to yeah. meet you today. Yeah. Speaking of horological knowledge, you know, I think you and I maybe even first connected at the uh, Microlux show because we had seen each other, I had seen you going around to some of the meetups, and you're very good friends with a, a good friend of mine uh, who now makes us you know, all mutually friends is, uh, is our good friend Josh, Horological yeah. Chronicles. Yeah, it's, it's a funny story how I, I met Josh. I had literally just moved to LA, because I've only been in LA about four years. I'm a native Chicagoan. I just moved to LA and obviously was eager to get involved and meet some other watch nerds. And uh, Unimatic was mm -hmm. having a pop-up event. And so me and my friend who was helping me design the Lexington, you know, he's never, he hasn't been into watches. He's just an industrial designer that I pulled into this, uh, into this endeavor. And I've been slowly indoctrinating him and <laughs> infecting him with the illness. He, he has the sickness now? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's got it. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Brian. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I demanded that he go to this event with me and we met and he actually met Josh first and they were spending a lot of time talking and then I eventually met Josh and then we all decided after the event we were gonna go have a few more beers at some local bar. So uh, yeah, he's a great dude and uh, yeah, we've been friends since and you know, we see each other a couple times a year. You know, COVID was obviously tough. I didn't, didn't see him much uh, then, but yeah. Great guy. Good people. Guy. Good people. The uh, Out of Time podcast, of course. And uh, Josh has been a connector of, of many relationships and people and, and friends. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you sort of already hit, I think, on how the name, you know, was developed. I think it's a really, you know, personal and, and meaningful, but also accomplishes what you hope to accomplish in, in terms of beaming the company and the brand. Um, curious about how the logo came about, because I think it also fits into your aesthetic. And I think it's pretty unique and, and it's well done. 
Um, and but before that, even why make watches? You know, I know you're a watch collector and enthusiast. You've been you know at it for a long time. But what, what was like the aha moment? You know, uh, truth be told, about six years ago, I went through a divorce, and all of a sudden, when you're not paired up, you have a little extra time on your hands, right? And in college, I used to draw and be a little bit more creative, and I kind of neglected that side of me for a long time. And all of a sudden, when I had a little bit more time, I'm like, you know, I'm going to get back into doing something creative. So I definitely wasn't like, I'm going to go start a watch brand. It was like, <laughs> I like watches. I love Art Deco architecture. I'm going to go take a stab at designing a watch. And when I say design, I mean like, PowerPoint initially, like <laughs> super rudimentary. We're in the Microsoft Office suite at this point. Yeah, okay. super rudimentary, um, and it, it very much was. But it was fun to do. You know, it was fun to just like play with different geometric shapes. And you know, one of the things about Art Deco is it's a lot of geometric shapes, which you can accomplish with uh, PowerPoint. That's right. So, um, so I did that for I don't know, call it a couple months, not very long. And then I was like, you know. I wonder what, I, what this could potentially turn into if I pulled in an actual industrial designer to help me take something that was two-dimensional and start going the three-dimensional. And that's kind of how it started. Um, you know, it just started to evolve. We started working together weekends, nights, very slowly. I mean, because again, the, the end goal wasn't start a watch brand. It was just like, have fun, see where this goes, maybe something beautiful comes out of this. Right, maybe something ends up on your wrist, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then as it started iterating, uh, we both were like, oh, this is like, this is coming out nice. Um, you know, full disclosure, I was actually uh, working a little bit with, uh, ah, maybe I shouldn't name his name, but another microbrand founder, Chicago-based guy. He's doing well with his brand. Um, you know, he kind of gave me some pointers, and that was very helpful. And yeah, well, that's cool to hear because sometimes you're just not sure how people are going to respond to sort of a new player. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those things where, yeah, you, just like you said, you never know how people are going to react, and you can look at another brand on the scene as a competition. He does different types of watches, so I don't think he saw me quite as competition, but still, very nice. Um, Anyway, make a long story short, three years later, we're coming to the finish line on the design, and then the hard part starts. Then you gotta like find your suppliers and come up with the name, uh, you know, get some marketing advice and some help and all that other stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it just all started coming together. I mean, in terms of the name, I told you about the, the name and how we came up with it. As I was thinking about logos, you know, I was reading a lot about how this day and age or of late, everyone's just, their logo is their name. Yes. You know, look at Google, look at Starbucks. There's a million examples of your logo is your name. So I then started looking at Art Deco fonts and I just happened to cross, come across this font that I particularly liked. It was, for me, it's, Tall letters, skinny, kind of minimalist, old yet modern. It was perfect. And then all we did really besides uh, taking the font and using it was we tweaked the middle M, mm -hmm. uh, stylized it a little bit. Um, 
which is a little bit strange, you know, because you know on the back of the on the back of the straps we've just stamped our stylized M. Yeah. People might critique that a little bit. Oh, why why are you showcasing an M when the name's Bremoir? But I get to do what I want. <laughs> that's the whole thing about owning the company. You do whatever the hell you want. That's exactly right. So. Um, I was reading something a little while ago, and, and uh, it was similar to what you were sharing about sort of corporate, you know, typography these days and fonts and, and, and uh, logos. And then on top of that, over the last 10 or 20 or 30 years, everybody has really standardized everything, where it's really just mono, you know, monolithic and, and copy. Especially in, like, the fashion houses. Especially. Everything used to be script and beautiful and, and ornate and unique. Now everything's just... Legibility, legible. simple, clean... Uh, yeah, and we kind of fell in line, if you will. Yeah, but 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 not all the way. I think you still gave yourself some permission to have a little fun, right, and make it unique, yeah. rather than just like you said, sticking with just a nice, you know, font and typography. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, in some of your copy on the website, as I was kind of looking through and, and sort of, and we've talked before, but I wanted to see what you how you might describe the brand to somebody who's brand new to it, right? Because there's inevitably, I think there's gonna be someone listening today who hasn't seen the Lexington yet. Yeah. And uh, at some point, you know, there's a reference to sort of, you know, how you appreciate free spirits. And I've always gotten the sense that you're a free spirit. Yeah, very much so. Uh, in fact, I got, I got an email from my, my uncle who bought a watch early. And he's short email just being like, man, every time I look at this watch, I'm just, I love it. I love that you did it. I love that you just like go for things and and yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's fun to have the the freedom and flexibility to do that and to be able to create something that is actually a tangible thing. It's not a software. It lives on and will will outlive me, hopefully. You know, that's kind of the cool thing about these watches is they can last hundred plus years if you take care of them. So uh, yeah, but I mean, going back to the age, right? I mean. Part of what we're trying to do is highlight all that was great about the age, not just the architecture, but you know, for the record, uh, the age of Art Deco as we're terming it mm. um, encompassed both the Roaring Twenties and then into the later part of the Thirties. Um, and for the historians out there, everyone, those people will will know all of the tremendous technological, uh, cultural, uh, and social progress that was made in the 20s and into the 30s. And, you know, that'll be part of the fun aspect of what we do with the brand is highlight some of that stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely a great point. You know, I think you guys say that, and you've said it too, you know, the Art Deco deserves to be remembered and celebrated. And, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, if you look up Art Deco watches, um, you get any number of two or three brands that we could all recite and they all, you know, they're rectangular and they may be vintage, maybe some newer iterations, but you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a small circle. And then you see the Lexington and I think that's a very different interpretation, but absolutely still in line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, like I said earlier, you don't want to necessarily just be recreating. I mean, what's the fun in that? Right. You right. could have just made a rectangular watch, you know, with some interesting numerals and yeah. called it a day. So I think moving forward, you know, you might pick up this watch and be like, oh, that reminds me of, of this, um, which is good because it's always good to bring some familiarity uh, to the consumer, have them see 
other big brands in your watches. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's fun, and we're already starting to, you know, get on to designing the next one. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll have to maybe, if there's any sneak, you know, peeks or little previews or nuggets that you can leave for us. Uh, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you a few now, since we're on the topic. Yeah, now's you'll, the time. You'll be happy to know that it's going to be uh, a watch inspired by a Art Deco piece of architecture right here in Los Angeles. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I will say, and then you can let your mind wander on which piece of architecture, but it will be a moon phase watch. Ooh, oh, I'll tell you right now, I need a, new, a moon phase in the collection so bad. Yeah. And when I, need, when I say need, that's <laughs> very, <laughs> very subjective, but it feels like a need, very much so. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's gonna be... Uh, are we talking calendar year 22? Are we forecasted? You don't have to give it, we're not gonna hold you to anything. Yeah. So I'm envisioning that we'll be done designing you know, on paper and computer in the next two months, and then hopefully prototype it, which takes, you know, these days, it's with the supply chain and just the, the continuing issues with COVID. Um, that'll probably be another two, two to three months. So hopefully I'll have prototypes by like fall. Yeah. And then um, get it out there and see what the reaction's like, and then hopefully full production by either end of the year or early 2023. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Stay tuned. That's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah. Maybe we get offline. I might get some more nuggets that I won't yeah, share yeah, with anybody yeah, else. Yeah, you might get some sneak peeks <laughs> at some of the renderings. See if I pour you a couple mis- more mezcales. <laughs> <laughs> Loosen this guy up. Let's go. We want to hear more. Oh, man. So let's get into the Lexington then, right? We're here because sure. I think um, if you've been following the Bromar social and we've been you know, tagging on and, and trying to share the word to you, uh, at some point, you know, this during this uh, session, we're gonna go through a, the big giveaway that you guys have been planning now, and you Absolutely. got a tremendous response to that. But um, let's get into the actual watch itself. We don't need to get into really, you know, hardcore. You know, this is a, a, a visual or an audio right. medium, so you know, I'm sorry to say that you can't see these beautiful watches that I'm staring at, you know, with Patrick right now. But I think there's some key, you know, aspects to it that deserve to be mentioned. So when people reference back to the page. Um, and they go find you know the Lexington on their own that they're going to be looking for for some of these things that I think are really unique to your to your um, to your watch. Um, you know, it's funny you had posted something for um, World Art Deco Day recently, and uh, featured one of my favorite buildings downtown, the uh, Eastern Columbia Building, um, which was really fun. We used to live downtown, and we don't we don't live downtown anymore, but uh, there's some great architecture down here. So the fact that you referenced that earlier, I, I'm thinking now all the buildings that could possibly be down here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been I've been trying to figure out a way to get up to that pool. So, oh. uh, do you know any residents? If any of you guys know any residents out there that would be willing to get me up there for- Does Johnny uh, Depp still have his two penthouses or do you have to let those go? I and, think he let those Yeah, go. he was short on some funds. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a bummer because I could have hit, hit him up maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody out there, you know, you got access, let Patrick and I know because uh, we have to do some important business up there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the Lexington, I think Mary's watch design and I think you said with the ethos of Art Deco, not just architecture and building design, but the ethos. But let's be clear, there's some, there's some very intentional building details here to the Chrysler building, right? Uh, yeah, a lot, actually. And I think to be proud of, quite frankly. It's not anything to skirt around. I think it's something that's really well done. Um, you know, in, in watches we hear all the time, right? You have, you know, racing and motorsport inspiration, aviation, exploring. I don't think, I mean, 
I don't know that I've heard anybody taking inspiration from not only Art Deco as a, as a, as a time and place and a spirit, but also in, in terms of architecture and building. So that's really cool. Which is, which is kind of strange because yeah. when you think about it, I mean, well, I think case design is, is kind of a neglected aspect of horology. That's a, that's a fair point. Dare I say it? Say it. Uh, there's just a lot of just run-of-the-mill cases. Just here's your standard forms, and then let's focus on the dial or, or whatever. Um, we will definitely have a focus on nothing groundbreaking, but like just more interesting case designs. Um, you know, another thing that is a little bit different that I also ask myself, why don't we see more of it? Which is, why is it always sticks and railroad markers for the seconds? Yes. Like, have you seen anything else? Right out of the playbook, sticks right? sticks and railroad markers for the... I mean, yeah, it's classic, it's clean, but man, it'd be nice to see something a little different. So, uh, you know, the, the entrance to the Chrysler building is this incredible like three-story vestibule that has this intricate metal work and oh by the way stainless steel if I'm not mistaken was kind of invented in the 20s so if you I came across a really really interesting uh, ad for you know the the top of the Chrysler building was stainless steel and it was like that was a big big deal it was brand new huge deal something that didn't rust because Naturally, I wouldn't want to be the guy that's going up there and polishing you know, the, the top of the Chrysler <laughs> Couldn't building. Couldn't pay me so enough money to do it. For them to be able to put up stainless steel that could last 30, 40, 50 years before it kind of needed some tender loving care, I mean, that's a huge advancement in, in alloy science. Yes. Right? Uh, and obviously, now here we are with our, our stainless steel watches. On our wrist. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, going back to the, the metal work in the entryway, um, it's, it's exquisite. And that was kind of the inspiration for the, the seconds markers, which are these little, they're like rectangles with the bottom cut out. Yeah. They're super cool. Um, like you said, it, it is, you know, not groundbreaking. You didn't do something that you look at and you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? I've never seen it in my life before, but it is not what you see on 99% of watches. Yeah. And But it's still done in a way that screams like intentionality and not just being different just to be, you know, bizarre and different. Like it, yeah. it works, it's beautiful. Yeah. The aesthetic is great. And, and most people honestly wouldn't even notice. Right. They'll look down at it and just see little dots for the seconds and sure. then they get a little close and they're like, oh, those look a little different. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the hour markers, I'm a big sector dial fan. Yeah, right? they're fantastic. And, uh, There's something about just the symmetry of it all. and Yeah, so uh, some people see the dial and they see the sector in it. Other people don't. But yeah, we, with the hour markers, we just extended them a little bit further, made the ends of them triangles to, again, pull from the triangle motif of the building. And then I don't know at what point in the design phase I was like, I think I probably saw the building at night, and I was like, "Oh my God, we have to, we have to riff on the Chrysler building at night, yeah. which is those triangles on the spire are outlined in lights." And so I was like, "Okay, let's see if we can get some loom around the tips of our hour markers." Yeah, I think that was a neat move, and I think the the 
you mentioned this earlier. I mean, we, the case itself. This is this is not scream dress watch in any stretch of the imagination. The styling and the aesthetic is maybe more formal than a dive watch or a chrono, but um, this is not a dress watch. And so you have loom on here. You've got water resistance. This is not splash proof, right? This has what fifty. Yeah, we put 50 on the back. It could legitimately probably go much, much more, but I'd rather err on the sure. safe side. Of course. And um, But the point is, you know, there's loom on here. So you could see, you could riff off this visual aesthetic of you seeing the building at night. And it's still, you know, it, it's functional. Yeah. It's a functional piece, and it does not take away uh, in any stretch, I think, from the design. Yeah, I mean, you look at old vintage watches, the loom was quite small. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's just a little touch. Yeah. You know. Um, so while we're like dial side then, here, go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, uh, when you're a new brand and you're designing your first watch, and you know, you, you got cost to, to think about, you always have the option of taking some off-the-shelf components, uh, the crown being one of them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nah, the crown is just one of those things that it's, it's a little thing, but... It's there, and why not design it? I think about it often. You know? And everyone, I had some people be like, oh, you gotta sign the crown. Like, who doesn't sign the crown? I'm like, yeah, but why? <laughs> it's on which the watch. Is, which is a question signed. that nobody asks enough in watches, but why? Yeah, it's, it's, it's on the watch that's signed. <laughs> don't I, have to do I, anything. It's fine. <laughs> um, so anyway, so the, the design of the crown is meant to riff off the dial design. So the crown is basically, uh, yeah, I'd say a good size, you know, grippable. Yeah, and got then, a good knurling on there. I mean, you can grab it. Yeah, and it comes to a point at the top, so it's got a slight point, very subtle. And then inside of that, on I guess what you would call the face of the crown, it's cut out, which riffs off of the chapter ring That's right. on the dial. Yeah. I think you did a nice a nice job there, not just throwing a regular old, you know, off-the-shelf crown, because, um, you know, you notice that when you're a nerd. Yeah, when you're a nerd, for sure. <laughs> These are the things that we pay attention to. Yeah. Um, let's stay dial side for a minute. Uh, you have four colorways. Each are very unique to their own, um, but they're obviously, you know, all, you know, riffs from each other. How did this come together, and how did you decide on on the color schemes? Um, and you know, just tell us how that sort of iterative process was. You know, it's funny. Uh, we probably, sh maybe, arguably, should have gone with a few less options because there's this thing called the paradox of choice, which right. means the more options people have, Paralyzed. the less likely they are going to be to make a decision. Paralysis by analysis, that's right? That's it. That's okay. it. So um, that's interesting. Yeah. You wouldn't have guessed that as you were launching this. You just think, hey, more options the better. Well, it was kind of one of those things like we love them all. Sure. It was so hard to throw one away. So we're like, let's let's get them all, and then and then ultimately, what's going to happen is we'll figure out. We'll you know, as time goes on, some of these dials will get discontinued. Right. Because the other two are selling more. I mean. I can tell you that the Morocco dial, which is the blue dial with the copper chapter ring, is the top seller. Is that also your favorite? I go back between that one and then uh, this one, which we call the Cohiba, mm -hmm. which is a brown dial and a copper chapter ring. But people love that copper chapter ring. I mean, it's it's different. People see rose gold in it. It's, yeah, it's, 
yeah. was meant to be copper, but it kind of has that rose gold look to it. It's sharp. It is very sharp. The brown and is I so think it's, a, it's, it's something people don't have in their collections. Yeah, so that's right. People are filling holes in their in their. You hear all the time now, right? Oh my gosh, I don't have anything sam. I don't have anything copper, right? Or blue does the same. I need blue, and so you've given people options not only to go something classic or matches yeah. everything that they wear. This might be their only watch, uh, and then you also hey, you know, you don't have this color, you don't have that color. This is a way for you to to, to bring that into the collection. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think we're going to be working on one more dial color, probably. I'm expecting some prototypes in the next three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to wait on that. All right. But, all right. Stay tuned. But it's going to be another, it'll be, copper will be the, the chapter right Sure. Since it has been so popular. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be remiss, I think, to yeah. not keep incorporating that and giving people more options off of that. For sure. Um, we talked, right before we got on air, we talked a little bit about the movement. It's a Swiss movement. Um, and, and ironically, I have a few watches in now that are using this movement, and I've been really pleased with it. Um, and this is my first experience just recently over the last few weeks and months um, with it. So this is the um, STP 111, so yeah. Swiss Technology Precision, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, really solid movement, and uh, I think it just gives you guys another set of sort of, you know, another, you know, uh, tip of the cap there that you've thought about what the movement's going to be. Is it going to be serviceable? Is it going to be reliable? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the movement is a clone of the ETA 2824, so, you know, I'm going to throw out another pun. Architecturally speaking. <laughs> yes. Architecturally speaking, it's, you know, it's sound. Yeah, very. Um, and again, kind of like what we talked about before the show, any movement can have a little glitch one in a thousand or one in 500. Um, you know, and that's part of the reason I chose to work with the guys in Arizona for the assembly. Yeah. Um, having that extra layer of quality control is huge because, I mean, I don't want anybody to get a watch that isn't working, uh, nor do I want to, you know, deal with a ton of returns because... No, I mean, you're talking about brand integrity at that point. You're yeah. launching a brand, but you also, it's, you want to be busy talking about your watches and getting more watches in people's hands and not servicing them 100%. unless needed. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, these, these have been great. You know, we've sold like 85 watches. Um, one of them had a, what, what they call propeller action, which is a super minor thing that... I guess it's pretty common where you, when you manually wind the dial, the rotor spins a little bit. Okay. Um, which is really just an oiling thing. Yeah. Not much more. Um, so at that point, you're talking, you know, single-digit percentages of, of, you know, things that you're working with, yeah, which I think and, is and well within spec and reason. You know, we give a two-year warranty, so any issues come up, we ask people to send it back. We'll cover all the costs. We'll get yeah. it fixed, and we'll get it right back out to them. You know, I've um, I thought the timekeeping again when you, when you're dealing with mechanical anything, there's gonna be sometimes where there's issues. Like it's the nature of mechanics. It's baked into it. Yes. If you didn't want to worry about that, you don't wear a mechanical watch. You know, right? It's part of being 100%. in tune with the machine. Right? Same thing with your driving or flying or whatever. Um, customized rotor on the back, and there's yeah, some nice yeah. decoration. I think not only on the rotor but on some of the bridges. Um, you know the the sapphire case back is there, and I, I love it. I think it's well done. It's recessed into the into the case here a little bit, so you're keeping that profile a little bit slimmer. It hugs yeah, the wrist yeah. really well. Yeah. 
yeah, super super happy with it. Yeah. I got I gotta say, very very happy with it. Um, love getting those emails from new customers when they get it in their hands, and you know, it exceeds their expectations, and yeah. they're super happy. And like, I wasn't anticipating having that be so rewarding. Yeah, you know, but it's it's pretty cool when you get to design something, get to the manufacturing point, and start getting it out there, and then get in, getting those types of emails of like. Like this one guy, um, he was like, thank you for designing my perfect watch. It's amazing. This guy's like a big Art Deco guy, and he's a designer himself, photographer, um, and he's just, he was absolutely thrilled. And what's interesting, you know, going, touching on some of the, I guess, the business side of things, um, I just gotten a, a video YouTube review by, I mean, maybe Watch Chris? Mm-hmm. Um, and I always ask people because it's an important part of business how did you find us right you need to know where I'm, the acquisition I'm, was I'm trying to understand where people are coming from and um, and he's like yeah YouTube fed me your, the video of Watch Chris because in the show notes or whatever it was said something about Art Deco so the algorithms are that's <laughs> how it all working these days yeah, you know? yeah so, it really is it's pretty cool how it all just Connects. Well, I want to ask you a, a quick question. I don't want to get too derailed on business, but I am curious about you know the, the decisions that, that watch brand owners make early on in, the, in their in their journey. I just poured us the um, the Zapoteco Tepestates. We talked about that earlier. Um, this also comes from the same label that we poured the Espadine from. So we'll uh, give that a taste and see what you think. Excellent. Salute. Forty-eight percent, so a, you know, a little extra, a little extra uh, kind of oomph, a little extra punch. A little bit spicier. Yeah, I think it is. It's, it's a hallmark, I think, of Tepestate for sure. I get a weird, almost like a bubble gum. I don't know if you yeah, can I, catch I, I that was, at all. I was just about to say, I got a little like grape, grapey flavor. Yeah, yeah. Up the nose on that first sniff. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um. So as a business owner, you can decide early on, especially as if you want to call yourself a micro brand and an independent brand. We, we've talked about this on the pod and everybody talks about it. There's no clear definition, but you have a few options, right? You can go through sort of the crowd, crowdfunding model. You can, you know, raise capital. You can, you know, fund it, self-fund it. I don't, you guys didn't do crowdfunding, which I think is a pretty, you know, people are pretty used to that these days. What guided that decision and are, have you, have, how are you feeling about everything now moving forward? Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the gentleman, the other owner in Chicago, highly encouraged me to not take the crowdfunding. He's just like, I think it takes away a little bit of credibility just because there's so much garbage on some of the crowdfunding sites. Um, now, that's, not that said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, and we may well leverage it yeah because it's a great tool right um we may leverage that to help release the second model yeah you know i'm, I'm thinking about that well i think at this point too you obviously you're still going to tell the story in, in that arena but you have also some known quantity you know because i sure. think as a consumer when i think about the crowd the crowdfunding always your biggest concern is i've never heard of this group before these people is it going to come to market right totally. and and i think I, I don't know the numbers. I'm sure you know 
all the crowdfunding sites could cite them. I think in most cases, especially in this community, I think things are either come to get come to fruition or you're probably made whole. Yeah. But we all we all worry about that as a consumer. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're 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 also the the other benefit of taking that route is because you can set your your benchmark. You know, my funding goal is X or Y or Z. That could either that could it could save you a lot of money. Yeah. Because the risk in not going that route is you dump a ton of cash and money into a full production run and they don't sell. Now you're sitting. Now you got a problem on all that inventory. Right. So that is the the risk. For new brands, there's obviously the ability for exposure. There's you know lower entry point, but for like you said, for somebody like yourself too, there's inventory and risk management that are involved with it. And these are all things that I think a, a business owner has to consider. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so yeah, we decided to take the plunge. Um, you know, it's working out. We we haven't done a ton of digital ads and marketing. We've we've been slow and steady in the beginning and it's been it's been good i think we'll we'll start investing a little bit more in ads and promotions uh as we move into this year um you know and one of our earliest initiatives was was the giveaway to again try to get a better understanding of who is the market you know who are these people interested and um you know ultimately building a bit of a, a funnel well, I have to say, I think, you know, you wouldn't fall into this um, category, but there's been certain times, and I think all of us have been, to, you know, um, delivered content from XYZ new watch brand, and you just get spammed, you know, and it's, you know, ads here and placements there, and, and you start to just, it, it, it's desensitizing in some ways, and you sort of already start to tune out that brand before you even really got a chance to experience it. The flip side, you know, I think I was slower to learn about the brand, you know, because I wasn't served all of these ads right away, but I think when it was a little more organic and it was because of people I knew and people I trusted, it felt like I could take it in with less of a barrier. You know, it was like, wow, okay, such and such likes it, or they know Patrick, or they met him at the group. Okay, that's already established sort of a, a standard, which is nice. So uh, there's pros and cons, I think, to both sides. Um, and it's just, you know, one person's experience, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the other, the other aspect, uh, I don't know who I was talking about it with the other day is, um, you know, I think initially it's easy to focus on the, the watch community and the enthusiasts. Yes. And then ultimately, I mean, if you're going to really grow the brand, you got to move beyond that. Right. So I've heard a few people, I think actually you and I might've talked about that briefly and, um, and, uh, I've heard a few other folks, maybe on pods and other stuff, kind of reminding folks this very loud and vocal minority of the watch community, one that we love, that we're a part of, that we you know continue to embrace and build and grow and experience and enjoy. Um, but there's a whole big world out there, and if somebody needs to make a viable business and bring more great watches to not only us, the nerds, but also you know the the, the sort of the general you know consumer, uh, you got to be able to reach those people too. Yeah, that's just business sense. Yeah, you know the other interesting topic that was a big debate getting the brand off the ground was to retail or not to retail interesting yeah and uh you have a few retail partners i've got a few i'd like to get a few more but it's tough to get those because you know i i approached a retailer here in la it was very well established watch retailer 
And it was interesting to get their perspective, which was they feel like the consumer has been um, trained to associate the micro brands with direct to consumer. Okay. Interesting. And I get that angle as well. And the other thing is they, you know, kind of don't want to compete against you online. Okay. That's interesting. Um, those are really probably really uh, good data points for someone like yourself. Um, you know, there's nothing that really beats going in somewhere and being able to touch it, see it, feel it, right? Uh, I get it. I order a lot of stuff online, watches included. It's a little scary. Sometimes you just don't know. You're like, oh, it looks fantastic in pictures. The, 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 the wrist on, in the, on the website looks fantastic. Just what's compared to my wrist size? Uh, how's it going to sit? How's it going to wear? And um, it's a little bit of a shot in the dark, but when you can go somewhere, get to mitigate some of those things. So that's a, that's a tough one to balance. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the other, uh, as I was talking to people in the industry, one of whom was encouraged me, encouraging me to develop those retail partners, his uh, explanation as to why I should develop it is those retailers will be your, your mercenaries. They will be the ones with the client lists. They will be the ones that can supplement some of your own advertising so that you can focus on designing more watches, manufacturing, managing inventory, dealing with your marketing team, on and on and on that owners have to manage. Right, because all that's on your desk. Yeah, so being able to subsidize, if you will, some of the sales is pretty valuable. That's a great point. And some of my favorite retailers are really excellent at that. They're storytellers um, and they are folks, like you said, have client lists and they know how to, to, to you know, show something to somebody in a way that's hopefully going to get it on their wrist if that was the wristwatch that was meant for them. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's funny. There's, there's nothing like uh, old school cold calling. <laughs> and so when I had my prototypes, I was kind of, when I'd go to cities for business or whatever, I'd, I'd do a little door knocking. And one of the uh, one of the retailers I found um, out in in Palm Palm Desert, mm -hmm. um, very very nice area, high end shopping. Yeah, uh, Emrick Jewels, and he's on El Paseo, which is like the Rodeo Drive of Palm Desert. And I literally walked up and down that street, and he was the last store I walked into. And Rick is just a cool guy. He's a watch guy. And I showed him, and he's like, "These are great. These are great." And he's like, "Yeah, I'll carry them." Super cool. uh, and he's been he's been selling about I don't know two watches a month awesome. for the last uh, five months. So uh, you know, it, it's nice to have that little extra flow coming yeah. in. You know. Yeah. Shout out to uh, everybody out in the in the desert area, right? Swing That's by it. and say hi. Check them out in person. Yeah. Yeah. Emrick Jewels on Paseo. Beautiful shopping and. Eh, it's getting a little hot. We're almost into their off season. Right. But you know, yeah, I don't yeah. mind going out there. I don't, I don't mind going out there even in the summer. There's a lot of pools. Yeah, there's a lot of pools. A lot, a lot of air conditioning, a lot, a lot of, of cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you say, uh, let's pour something. And what do, you, what do you say about giving this Lexington uh, tuxedo out to a lucky sure, winner? Sure, sure. Let's, let's do that. All right. Let's, uh, I'm going to pour this, uh, the in, uh, Inaquarines. Yeah, we should definitely pour first so that we can... Uh, toast the winner. I like that idea. Toast You're to the winner. A man uh, who understands. And while you're doing that, protocol. I will I will kind of set the foundation. So um, 
we opened up the giveaway, I believe, April 1st. We closed it the 30th. Um, we got a total of about 1,300 entries. So, uh, a stiff, Which is comp- incredible. stiff competition. Your odds are, hey, you know, may the odds be forever in your favor, but um, there's a lot of people that want this watch. Yeah. So, for good reason. Nothing, uh, you can't beat the price on it. <laughs> Free 99 <laughs> is really good. <laughs> So, uh, so here's what we've done. I've, I've compiled the list. It's in a very long Excel spreadsheet. And what we're going to do now is we're going to pull up Google and uh, have Google generate a number at random. And then we will simply con- consult our Excel spreadsheet and tell you who the winner is. That's how it's going down, folks. That's it. Live here on the Spirit of Time podcast. So, let me get up my spreadsheet. Okay, there you go. And we've got our generator over here. Drum roll, please. Five five four. It's coming a little close. We've got Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson, you are the man. Ding ding ding. The winner, winner, winner. Congratulations, Let's Kevin. Cheers to Kevin. Cheers. So Kevin will be able to. Uh, well, I imagine you'll, you'll contact him. Yeah, yeah, I will. Uh, I will be emailing Kevin. So um, be on the lookout for an email from Bremoir. Congratulations! You are about to be in possession of a very fine timepiece, and uh, I think it will be quite worth remembering. Definitely, I hope so. <laughs> so uh, we've spent time enjoying uh, some of your haul from your last trip to uh, Mexico. We have really dove deep into not only sort of your brand ethos, how it came together, who you are, what it means, how you went about bringing this watch to market, and and even touched on a few things that we might see in the future. Um, you know, when I met you, Patrick, it, it made an impression. You know, we were at the Microlux event, and uh, you had on your finest 20 Roaring Twenties attire. You had a flapper by your side, and you were the only booth that had a decanter of whiskey and your Waterford glasses on the table. Nobody else had that, yeah. make that clear. They called it the Roaring Twenties <laughs> for a reason. <clears throat> so I think you're a whiskey drinker as well. Um, obviously tequila and mezcal is on the table. What else? Is there anything else that's kind of your vice? Do you have? Do you enjoy a good cocktail? We talked about the Negroni earlier. What's what's sort of your favorite things to You know, to enjoy? be honest with you, I, I probably mostly drink beers. Mm. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. I've been just getting back into beers myself over the last year or so. Yeah, uh, I lean towards like the brown ales, darker beers, maybe a porter or a stout or something, yeah. I have something to tell you off air that we'll share with the audience at a later date. Sure. Um, But then I also like Hefeweizen's. I I like it all. Favorite, favorite, or top two or three favorite breweries that are nearby? Mm. Could be for the beer, could be for the ambiance, could be because you like the proprietor. I don't even, I won't even throw one out. Um, But my, my favorite beer growing up, which to this day is still a favorite, is Newcastle. Newcastle Brown. Very, 
you know, simple brown yeah. ale, but it's just there's something about it that gets me every time. Hits all the right spots. I grew up um, in, back east in Pennsylvania, and I grew up drinking Yingling. Mm. And, uh, and when we say growing up people, we don't mean we were like 12, like yeah. in our early drinking we're days. We were like 18. <laughs> Easily. And, uh, but same thing. I mean, Yingling is not something I don't think that would, you know, pour somebody to, to, to welcome them to the wide world of beer, but it just does something that, and it's, it's well, you know, it's the oldest brewery. That's a lager? It is a lager. Lager, yeah. yeah. Just does something to me, just yeah, like you yeah. said. Um, all right, so what dark speakeasies might somebody find you kind of gallivanting around in Los Angeles well, you or know, elsewhere? Do you have a favorite New York bar, Chicago, what have you? Yeah, we were trying to get, uh, we we're trying to record at the Varnish, That's which right. is That's a, a great spot. Cool little speakeasy in, yeah, right. in downtown LA. Um, just gonna get anybody to call us back. So, what are you gonna do? Um, now that's in the back of uh, Coles. Yes. Uh, so for the if you're if you're local, that's Sixth um, Street in between Spring and Main, in the back of uh, of Coles, uh, uh, which is the uh, French Dip place, right? Just across from yeah. Las Perlas is on the other side. We talked about that a few times. Really yeah. good food all up and down Sixth and Seventh. Yeah. Varnish is cool. Yeah. I've also got a um, for the audience. If anybody has any speaky recommendations in Paris. I'm actually headed to Paris soon. So I'm also looking to connect with some wash community over there. Oh, cool. I sent a uh, message to Red Bar Paris. Again, no, no response. I don't know if it's a Parisian thing, but uh, if anybody's got any fun watch connections in Paris, I'm, I'll be over there for about five days. Not to toot our horn, but we have a lot of, we do have a good amount of Euro listeners. We always post on like a Monday or Tuesday evening, like. Pacific Coast time late, and uh, catches everybody on that side of the pond, and, and it's you know the East Coast folks for their early commute. So, uh, drop a comment, hit you know Patrick up, let him know how to connect with um, the watch community in Paris, and also speakeasy recommendations. You need to make sure this man has a good place to drink. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I'm I'm a th- very thirsty guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great fun. Um, a long time in the making. Well worth the build up. And uh, I'm glad we got to join you on your giveaway, quite frankly, because this is sure. in, it's sort of in celebration and, and in support of, of this sort of milestone and, and kind of welcoming a new Lexington owner to the, to the Bremoir community. And uh, we're just you know, glad to be a, a small part of it. Well, appreciate you having me. This has been fun, and uh, I look forward to the next one. I was gonna, well, now that I know there's some you know, things that not only are we looking forward to what's on the table here now in your, your four watch collection and then some additional colors, Knowing there's things down the you know down the road and in, in development, I think you'll. Uh, I'm going to convince you to come back on somehow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to leaking some of the details. <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 thirsty and we're we're leaky at the same time. It's was, it was kind of an odd ending, but I think that's the right place to to let it off. So we, we definitely nailed the puns on this episode. <laughs> we opened strong and we finished eh, mediocre, but on an interesting note. Um, Patrick, how do people find you? How do they interact with the brand? And how do they buy a watch? Uh, website is bremoir.com. Instagram is at bremoir. And you can always email me direct at patrick at bremoir.com. Love hearing from people, so don't be shy. Yeah, you're, about, you're a man about the community here in LA, and um, you know, we're, we're just glad to have you here and glad that you were able to put this you know, four-piece four collection together. And we're really excited and uh, looking forward to what you have next in store. Thanks so much, Greg. Cheers. That was good fun, man. That was fun. Stop that.
We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.